When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This place is in chaos. Nothing's where it's supposed to be. All these crazy kids and their chaos. Minus, don't do that. Sorry. You bad. We are now six episodes into Star Trek Discovery's third season, and it feels like it's just flown by. I'm Dan Gunther. This is the Positively Trek Discovery review episode for this week. We are talking about season three, episode six, Scavengers is the name of the episode. And with me, as he always is, is the wonderful, the terrific, the incredibly handsome Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how are you doing today? I feel very handsome today. Very, very much wish that this was a visual show that people could see this ultimate beauty that's sitting on this microphone. <laughs> now, you know, it's when you were saying about we're at episode six and it seems like it's flown by. My mind also went to The Mandalorian because, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan also. But this season of Mandalorian started after this season of Discovery and will end sooner than the season of Discovery because we're already at the halfway part with The Mandalorian because it's only eight episodes where this one for Discovery is 13. And I'm so, so grateful that we still haven't reached the halfway mark with Discovery. There's so much more coming. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I I don't know what I would do with an eight episode Star Trek season. You know, Picard and Lower Decks, they were 10 episodes each. That was short enough. But yeah, if, if the show only had eight episodes, I... I I don't know. I see that probably happening someday. There will probably be a season of something in Star Trek that short. But uh, I, I for one, am grateful that, like you said, we're not even quite halfway through this season of Discovery yet. Oh, and the other thing I've noticed, too, is a lot of the Mandalorian episodes are shorter than the Discovery episodes. So we're getting more mm -hmm. Discovery episodes than Mandalorian, and they're usually longer. Yeah, definitely. Very, very different approaches to the storytelling because I, I've noticed this season of Discovery as well. The episodes have generally been longer yeah. than previous seasons of Discovery as well. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. <laughs> you know, the longer, the better, right? Well, no, I take that back. I don't want to say the longer, the better. If the storytelling is full enough to fill a long episode, do it. But don't make it long just to make it, you know, and then fill it with stuff just to make it 50 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever if the story's there do it if the story requires just 30 minutes then i'll take it don't stretch it out just to make it 42 or 
whatever minutes. Yeah. Well, the good news is the last couple of weeks, I would say I was always disappointed when the credits came. Like I was always wanting more, which is good for episodes that are, you know, 55 minutes long. That That's pretty impressive. Uh, this week was a little shorter, I think. I, I, I don't have the runtime in front of me, but I feel like it was closer to 40-some minutes than in previous weeks. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm looking it up now, I think it was like, four, well, let's see. Well, you know, why Why guess when I can look at 49 minutes it was? Oh, okay, so still fairly, fairly long. Longer than a typical, you know, cable one-hour show that has to deal with commercials, but, uh, you know, a little shorter than we've been getting by a few minutes. The longest episode this season was 55 minutes with Die Trying, which was last week's episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I'm sorry, and Forget Me Not was also 55, so those two are tied at 55. But yeah, they typically have been 53, 54 uh, minutes scavengers and the third episode of the season people of earth were both 49 so we're getting between mm. 49 to 55 minutes so far this season yeah that's interesting so yeah yeah this this episode uh is is definitely we're, we're following up on what happened last week the uh the discovery is now part of the fleet and interestingly, it's it's getting upgraded as well. So let's start with that. What, what do you think of the upgrades that we see Discovery's gotten in this episode? You know, it's there's this thing that happens when I watch Star Trek, new Star Trek, and something happens. And my sometimes my first reaction is like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this, you know, because I'm not expecting it. And it doesn't necessarily fit into what I think probably would be happening because I would think that they would do some upgrades to the ship, but it seems like they did some major upgrades to it. The ship looks a little different. The nacelles can attach and all that. And I'm, I guess, yeah, I'm good with it. The A kind of bothered me a little just because I was like, well, this isn't a new ship. It's just a refit. But then I thought, well, if the ship is listed as being inactive or had been listed as destroyed, whatever, for over 900 years, then, <laughs> and then you bring it in you totally upgrade it uh yeah if you're gonna re-enter it into this into starfleet and the federation then you almost have to give it a new registry number as a new ship (laughs) that was kind of my thinking as well at first i was like hey well it's but it's not a new ship they've they've just refitted it basically but yeah then i pictured like you know the starfleet logistics person who's like, oh, do you know how hard it is to go back and change a record of a ship that's listed as destroyed? Let's just make it a new ship, because that's really annoying to have to do that. I just, yeah, I pictured like the 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 data entry guy being like, no, it's too hard. Just make it a new ship. <laughs> yeah, and then my mind starts going to all the other A's, B's, C's, D's, E's and stuff that we've had, and then I it starts to bother me again that the defiant was then not an a in the second go round, <laughs> but I know that mm-hmm. was because of budget and special effects or something, but I'm like, okay, that was a completely new ship and it didn't get an a, and this is the same ship and it, it gets an a, it doesn't all make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't all make sense. Could be like the tagline of star Trek, like star Trek. It doesn't all make sense. <laughs> yes, but I work it out in my mind so it does make sense. Because, you know, I, you don't have to give everything to me on the silver platter to explain stuff. I just assume, well, there's a reason. I, may not, I might not know the reason, but there is a in-universe reason for these things. 
Well, let's uh, let's jump into kind of the plot of this episode and what's going on. So we know that Burnham is on the case of trying to figure out this whole burn thing, like this thing that happened 120 years ago that caused dilithium and warp cores that were active to go inert, making lots of ships go boom. And we learn that over the course of the last year, she's been acquiring these black boxes from ships. And she learns that, you know, the burn wasn't simultaneous. There's a few milliseconds, microseconds difference between, you know, when ship A was destroyed and ship B was destroyed. So if she can get another one, they can triangulate, you know, maybe where the point of origin of the burn was because, you know, it didn't all happen at once. So it had to have, have emanated from somewhere. What do you think of this whole mystery of the burn and, and Michael Burnham trying to figure this all out? This is obviously her big mission right now is to figure out the burn. And I am interested to know what this burn is, why it happened, if anybody was behind it. But at this point, I'm not that interested because it feels to me that when you watch the characters that exist in this century and you have Vance, for example, they seem to discount that the burn, it's something that happened. We investigate it. We can't figure it out. We've moved on. We're just trying to live with the situation we have and maybe even find ways to improve upon it. But we're not spending the time trying to figure out why it happened or how it happened because that was 120 years ago. I mean, it's this is an event that happened in be, before any of these people's lifetime. They weren't even born when it happened, these characters that mm-hmm. we've met in this century. So it's long established that the burn occurred and is done. And not to say that they're not interested, but I'm finding myself not as interested in the burn because for that reason, it happened. It happened a long time ago. It's not like it just happened. You know, we're trying to fix the problem or whatever. We've moved beyond it. To say that, I think I'd be more interested in it if we get some more information of what's behind the mystery. We're getting just very little information about it. But if we get to the next episode and we find out maybe who did it, then I might start to get more interested in it. But right now, it's really just Burnham going, I got to find out what the burn is. I got to see what caused the burn, what caused the burn, what caused the burn. And I'm like, okay, let's let's figure that out. But after six Mm -hmm. episodes, I'm ready to get a little more information then. Let's just grab a black box and, oh, they all, the burn didn't happen all at the same time. Yeah, which is interesting. Like, that's an interesting little tidbit of information. But it's like you, I feel very similarly. It's not quite enough yet to make me really invested in this. And I mean, I know the show will do something at some point and we'll learn some piece of information that all of a sudden makes us go, oh my goodness, we need to figure this out now because it has so many implications for this, this and that. But I just, I just feel like we're not there yet. Kind of like you said. And and I feel like kind of on the side of, of Vance and the rest of Starfleet where You know, we've got a lot to deal with right now. This really isn't a priority. Again, it will become a priority because we'll find out that it's really important. So I I just need a little bit more in that direction before I'm really invested as well. Here's the thing. This season started off with arriving to this point in time, reuniting Burnham with the crew, everybody finding their place, right? It's really about, you know, where we are, who we are, finding the Federation and establishing ourselves. And we've reached that point. Now we're at a point that we really need to find out some interesting tidbits about the burn. We need to be showing up here on this podcast saying, 
oh my gosh, Dan, what did you think what we found out about the burn? Do we think that it was caused by the so-and-sos? Do we think it was because of, you know, and all of a sudden we have all these theories and we're ha- we haven't reached that point yet because it hasn't been necessary. But I think we've reached that point now that Discovery has met up with the Federation and Starfleet. Now we're at that point that we need to start getting that. And I think this episode is the first step and we need, need to start making bigger leaps at this point. Absolutely. And and I think that will be borne out probably in the next few episodes. Uh, so we're also at a disadvantage, of course, because the, of the nature of discovery. I mean, it's just a little tidbit every week that kind of serves this larger story. So, you know, we'll probably in two or three episodes be eating our words and be like, oh my gosh, this is the most compelling mystery. I, I can't believe like we didn't think that it was this crazy, but oh my gosh, you know, I I can't believe we've learned all this, but yeah, we're just not there yet. So let me ask you from the little tidbit that we did get that the burn didn't happen all at once. Does that mean it wasn't natural or was it caused by someone? I, you know, it could go either way at this point. I, I don't know which way I'm rooting for really. I, I don't know. Is, could there be a big bad? I mean, we had Kovic in the last episode say, bad guy, right? Yeah. With regards to the cause of the burn. They don't know, but you know, it could be any one of a number of bad guys or whatever. Uh, or it could be something natural. I feel like they're going to move towards that. It's going to be a not natural cause. I think that's where I'm leaning towards. That's what it feels like to me too. Yeah. I hope that we're wrong on either case that it's not something natural, but it's not, not also because of back. It could just be, it was a mistake. That's true too, yeah. And it's being covered up. Okay, so Vance, when you're watching Vance and Burnham's talking to him about the burn and he's doing these little side views, like you almost feel like, oh, I think he knows more than what he's letting on. But I also Hmm. feel like they have him do those looks and and facial expressions just to kind of confuse us, like get us off the trail. Like maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't know. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if this turns out to be a mistake and maybe even Vance is trying to cover it up. That's interesting because he does in, in last week's episode, he does sidestep the question. I think Burnham asks him something like, what, what's your personal theory or what do you think happened? And he kind of sidesteps it. He says, unless you have some compelling evidence of some kind that we've overlooked for the past 120 years, my opinion doesn't really matter. So he doesn't, he doesn't say, I don't know. Yeah. Or he doesn't, you know, he, he kind of sidesteps that question a little bit, which is interesting in retrospect with, with what you just said in mind. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it could be also that he realizes that, okay, we know who caused the mistake, this accident to happen, but we don't know why it happened. We don't know what caused it to be a mistake or whatever. And maybe they don't have all the puzzle pieces in place, but they have, they may have more information we know, but it could be that the Federation and Starfleet itself caused this again as an accident. And they don't want to tell the galaxy that was all on us. And, you know, (laughs) but we didn't do it on purpose. Something happened, you know, and and we don't know who, we don't know why we don't know initially who within Starfleet, you know, was involved. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where my brain's going right now. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Now you've given me a lot more to think about for sure. 
So maybe maybe the burn is a little more compelling than I gave it credit for because now my wheels are turning a bit. Well, and because if it is where I'm going with this, that's what we need to start finding out in the next episode. We need to have something where she says something like, okay, you know, it, it was an accident. We just got to find out who did, you know, then we'll be like, oh, okay, so it wasn't natural. It wasn't somebody, Dr. Evil wasn't behind, like, we need those little breadcrumbs now. Let's, let's bring them on. I'm ready to fill my tummy up with some breadcrumbs. Love it. Okay. To that end, we learn that Book has found another of these black boxes, and, uh, but he's not here initially. He sends his ship with grudge, <laughs> which that was a funny little bit there, to, to meet up with Discovery and, and tell Burnham about, you know, I found this black box. We find out he's taken prisoner. He doesn't tell her to come after him, but of course Burnham is going to do that and enlists the aid of Giorgio. First, you know, he goes to, she goes to Saru with this, but Saru says, you know, we can't go on this mission. I've just been told we need to keep discovery on standby. Uh, and I need you here. So, uh, no, I'm not authorizing this. I'm not going to go to the Admiral. Burnham grabs Giorgio and decides to go anyway with Book's ship, which, uh, was definitely an interesting choice. Uh, but I want to talk about Giorgio a bit because while she's accompanying Burnham on this mission, we get a couple more of those moments like we saw at the end of last week's episode where she's kind of frozen in place and a little bit out of it. But we see a little bit more this time. She's apparently experiencing what might be flashbacks or something like that. I'm not sure. But there are a few things of note in these like flashes and I, I haven't gone and freeze framed or, and, and also didn't have closed captioning on. So I'm not a hundred percent certain, but you know, th- we see images such as bloody hands, the Terran empire symbol, uh, a bloody dagger sitting on the floor at one point. And Giorgio, I think at one point says son, I'm, I'm not sure if that's right or not. Like I said, I didn't put the closed captions on, but uh, what do you make of what's going on here? What do you, what do you think? Uh, I mean, do we really have enough to go on? I guess probably not, but what do you think might be, uh, they're, they're going for here? I haven't freeze framed it either. So I haven't, and nor have I done closed captioning. So we're in the same boat on this. I thought I also heard son. Uh, mm-hmm. I've watched the episode twice and that's why I heard both times. Now, is this the writers trying to throw us off? That maybe she's saying son, but it's not as in son and daughter. Maybe it's somebody whose name is son, like S-U-N or something. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Mm. I mean, that could be something to throw us off a little. But the flashback aspect, it tells me that something happened when she was having that meeting with, I can't remember his name, but the guy with the glasses from last week's episode. <laughs> David Cronenberg or Kovic, Kovic, whichever. Kovic. I don't know what Kovic did to her. He had to have done something. It does seem like it would be memories that have been suppressed or maybe they maybe she's always had these memories, but she doesn't know why they're flashing in her mind so vividly as if she's there. You know, I mean, think about something in your past that happened to you. You can remember it, but it's not so vivid that you zone out and it's it feels like you're there in the moment at the time. And that's what seems to be happening to her. Why would they do this with her? It makes me wonder why the writers put in this storyline of Giorgio having flashbacks to her past that's in the mirror universe. Why is this going on at the same time we're trying to figure out the burn? So mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if there's some connection between the mirror universe and the cause of the burn. And they're probing Giorgio's mind 
to see if there's any information she would have in there that's related to what was being done in the mirror universe that would have caused this. Hmm, I, I didn't think of that connection, but that that's very, yeah, that that's definitely a possibility. I, this episode, I, I really loved Michelle Yeoh's performance and I've never been the biggest fan of the mirror Giorgio character. I, you know, she's interesting and, I, and, and, you know, they're going, they're going to do some interesting things with her. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of setup for what's to come with the section 31 series when that kind of comes around. But in this one, I, I actually felt some sympathy for her, for what she's going through. And I loved the very frank discussion that she has with Michael where, you know, she says this has been going on for a few weeks and, uh, you know, I can't let anyone see this. I can't reach out to anyone for help. And Michael has that great line where, you know, we're, we're not in your universe. Uh, weakness is not a death sentence here. Like she's kind of a survivor of a, of an abusive relationship, the relationship was with the universe she's from. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I'm really loving the Giorgio character from the mirror universe. And every time she comes up on screen and does something, I'm always like, oh, I love this character. And then the next thought is I shouldn't love this character because her character was this emperor of the Terran empire that was killing people. I mean, she's almost like a Hitler character, but then I also think in my mind then, well, but she's the product of the universe she was in. Hitler is different situation than because it takes place here in our world where people weren't like that. It's like you're saying Georgia is part of a universe where she was being abused. They're all being abused. They're all like this. And that line that you mentioned from Burnham is basically saying you don't have to be like that here because she had to be that way in the mirror universe. Giorgio had to be that way as others had to be that way. And now she doesn't have to do that. Unlike Hitler, he didn't have to be the way he was in this, uh, mm -hmm. in our world and universe. And so I think it makes me a little more sympathetic to her character because I feel like Burnham is bringing her out of that. It's okay. You're out of that abusive relationship. You don't have to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And especially last week with the revelation that there's a biological component possibly to people from the mirror universe that makes them the way they are, which, you know, Giorgio dismisses. She says, you know, my wickedness is not some biological thing, but it's interesting that they've introduced that element and maybe it's something that can be changed or remedied. I, I don't know that Giorgio would want that necessarily. I think she likes who she is, but it's interesting that they've introduced that idea that something biological could be changed. So, you know. Yeah, it could be that. And, you know, this whole mirror universe thing may not have a connection to the burn. And this is just character insight into Giorgio as to these flashbacks are going to show us why she is the way she is. And we do become more sympathetic towards her because maybe we find out she was a pretty decent person in the mirror universe. And she was trying to th change things in that universe for the good. And it just ruined her. And she became mm -hmm. the way she she's been. Also, I don't think I mentioned this on the last episode that we talked about Discovery, but Kovic, you know, I think I mentioned like maybe he's from the mirror universe because he's wearing glasses and, you know, the light and stuff. 
And of course, well, but we haven't had a crossover in 500 years. And it's like, okay, well, it can't be Kovic unless he's like really old. We kind of talk about, but then at the same time, he also points out to Giorgio, if I ask you questions, you're just going to lie. And I thought, well, even if he's, he says there's a, hasn't been a crossover in 500 years, but if he's from the mirror universe from recently, he could be lying. I mean, we mm-hmm. could get an episode Absolutely. where we find out he crossed over just like 20 years ago and she'll say, Giorgio say, you told me there hadn't been a crossover in 500 years. And I can just see him looking at her going, I lied. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I frankly don't trust anything he said because yeah, yeah he, he, he's definitely an unknown quantity at, at this time. So yeah, yeah. I, I really don't know what to make of what's going on with Giorgio. Is this something that Kovic has done to her? Presumably given the, the sequence of events, but, you know, I'm I'm not sure what's going on there at all. My one little nitpick with Discovery right now is there too many things that keep coming up that remind me of other things they've done on Discovery. These flashbacks mm. make me think of Tyler, of him having flashbacks to being a Klingon and not really understanding and what you know what are these vivid flashbacks all about. And then when we have uh, Adira seeing Gray, and I love, and that's one thing I sh- we'll touch on this, I'm sure, but I love the fact that Stamets points out i had the same situation too where i could see my loved one so but Mm -hmm. i'm seeing there's just like okay this is something we've done before you know it's like why do we keep going back to doing things similar to what we've done before well let's let's talk a little bit about stamets and adira then because there's definitely an interesting relationship forming there and i I love that stamets said he didn't think he'd become a mentor to a tween or whatever he says and I, i i think it's interesting to see them playing off each other and like you said, I, I have in the notes here, the I see dead people support group, like, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of relate on that level. And I don't know, where do you see this relationship going? Like, I, I, I like the kind of mentor mentee thing that's got, that's been going on here. Well, Adira is young and I feel like the episode, a couple of episodes ago about her, that Burnham would be her mentor, but I think they have enough to do with Burnham in the next couple of episodes that this is a great opportunity to have Stamets step in as the mentor to Adira. And I think they're going to learn from each other. But somebody who's so young, who is 16, and yes, she's Trill and she has the symbiont in, is going to need some guidance through life. And I think he does see a lot of himself in her. It's interesting how he always seems to have a little standoffish relationship with a lot of people on the ship. I mean, he, he's a nice guy. But he's also a little standoffish and a little judgmental at times. And, you know, you would think he and Tilly would have a better relationship. But then here's this young girl, which was probably the person that he would probably have the least common anything with, you know, because she's 16, you know, and it's like, I can't get along with a lot of people here in the ship. There's no way I'm going to get along with 16 year old. But I think he sees in her what he was like at that age. And so mm-hmm. I think he is wanting to be her mentor and surrogate older brother. I'll put it that way. Not father, older brother. Yeah, I definitely see that. I, I do love that we get that that really lovely scene later between Stamets and Culber where Stamets is talking about Adira and saying she's, you know, a genius, misunderstood. She buries herself in her work and doesn't do anything besides that. And Culver's like, Oh, remind you of anyone, (laughs) you know, there's definitely those parallels there that I I think they're finding this really interesting common ground. I I do like the idea that, you know, we're, we both fell in love with dead people who aren't quite gone, you know, 
that that was an interesting line there and brings those two together in a way that uh you know we kind of touched on before but i hadn't really thought of like how much those ideas parallel each other you know it's not just that they're seeing people who aren't there it's you know people they were really close to that they they were lovers with that died culber of course came back and now Gray is kind of back in this strange kind of limbo way. So I, I love those parallels between the two characters. Yeah, it's great that if they're going to have parallels like that and go back to something that was done in a previous season that's somewhat similar, have those characters relate to it in that manner. And, you know, friend of the show, Jesse Gender, I saw her do a vlog on her YouTube channel about lgbtq characters that there's this trope of killing off you Mm -hmm. know one of the characters and we got that in the first season and now we're doing it again in the third season but at the same time they're still there but they're not there and that's unfortunate you know if that's kind of like a trend that seems to happen in tv and movies but at least we have these characters relating to each other definitely i'm curious to see where this goes it it seems it's funny it feels kind of like not a part of the main thrust of this episode maybe almost like a c plot but i I like that it's included here i also just little character bits like adira the way she talks to stamets in that first scene when she's on the floor in the pit doing the repair stuff. I love the little quirks in her personality. She seems really fun. And I I really want, you know, after not seeing her like barely at all last week, I'm glad we get a little bit more of her in this episode, but you know, I want, I want another focus on her and what's going on with her, which I'm sure we'll get because of course there's a lot more to come with this character. I think when you just said that made me think of data, almost like she's the data of this series. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know why. It's just, you know, trying to find her place, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. That, That's an interesting thought for sure. So, uh, like I said, we've got Burnham and Giorgio rushing off to rescue Book uh, from, he's been kind of uh, held as, as an indentured slave, basically, at this salvage yard because he owes, supposedly, this person who's part of the Emerald Chain Uh, who runs the place. This was interesting, this kind of starship graveyard. Now, I kind of laughed because it's a way for Discovery to use some of the the ship models that they have in the CGI, reuse them from the 23rd century, because we've got a bunch of 23rd century ships here that we left behind. So the main one that we see, and, and the one that kind of crashes into the building at the end, is a Hiawatha type which was like the the USS Hiawatha at the start of season two. There's a bunch of other class ships here, the four nacelled Cardenas class, like the USS Buran and the, and the Hoover class, which we've seen before as well. What, do you, what were your thoughts of seeing these old 23rd century ships here? And like, did that strike you as unrealistic or, or did that kind of make you think like, what's going on here? I feel like I'm on Trek yards right now with Captain Foley. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I, it didn't, no, none of that bothered me. I just, it made sense to me because after the burn, yeah, there would be, you know, a graveyard of ships somewhere and spare parts. Even if there wasn't a burn, I can see something like that. It didn't feel out of place to me. I kind of liked the idea that they're scavenging old parts of old starships. I mean, I would like to see maybe more variety of starships from other centuries, maybe. But, I mean, we weren't yeah. like getting a, like, you know, a lot of close-ups of the ships, so... 
I don't Yeah. I did think think it weird that like all of the ships there were like the 900 plus year old ones, but uh you know, maybe this was like a, a surplus yard that that existed before the burn and and that, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of where I my mind went, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, d- I didn't think that much about it to be honest. So it didn't feel out of place or bother me or anything. Okay. The one that I did notice is one of the other ships that gets shot down and is falling though, looks a lot like a Miranda class, which is like the USS Reliant from Star Trek II: the wrath of Khan. And I, I really want to like zoom in on that and get a close look at that. Or, or on, on the other hand, maybe watch a Trek yards video because I'm sure they, <laughs> they're, they're going to take a look at that. But I thought that was really cool. That was a nice touch. And I would have liked to have seen more of that kind of imagining of, other ship classes we've seen in other Star Treks, maybe? Yeah, or maybe even a ship that uh, we're familiar with. Maybe the original Voyager is there. Ooh, that's cool. So at, at this uh, salvage yard, we meet a few people. And one of one of the people we meet is an Andorian named Rin. Uh, and he's not part of the Emerald Chain anymore. He's kind of been uh, lessened in his social standing, let's say. And uh, so he's played by Noah Averback Katz. Uh, he's the guy with the severed antennae. What did you think of this character? I didn't realize after a while that his antennae antennae had been severed. Like it took it. I didn't even notice it at first. It took me probably five minutes into his character that I would realize. Wait, wait, where where are those things? <laughs> I mean, his character was fine. I mean, it you know the fact that he's working in this area where the emerald chain has. Andorians and he's not part of it and he's thrown into this position to be treated in this manner and I don't know there's not a whole lot there to me <laughs> I don't know mm. what more to say I don't know I'm, I'm hoping we see more of him it's interesting and of course uh, you know played by the husband of Mary Wiseman yeah. I think is an interesting aspect yeah go to his Twitter because he puts a little compilation of when he was younger as a Star Trek fan leading up till now it's kind of fun oh that's cool uh and, and yeah it, it's it's neat to know that like we've heard in, in interviews with Mary Wiseman before that her boyfriend really helped her when she was getting ready to play a Star Trek character. And now we get to meet him as her husband now, and he gets to kind of be in Star Trek like that. That's pretty cool. You know, your, your wife becomes a main character in a Star Trek series and you get to kind of join in and you're a huge Star Trek fan. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Probably when she got this part, he probably cried more than she did. He was probably just <laughs> so thrilled. And she's like, you got to help me out with this. You got to help me understand all this Star Trek stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got you covered, you know. But, yeah, this character, it was nice to see that um, he stayed alive. I was glad to, you know, because when he got shot, it was, you know, a little bit moving scene that he put his life out there to help. And then I was glad to see that he was taken to sick bay and he's going to make it through. So I am interested to see what happens with his character going forward. There just wasn't a whole lot there, character growth or information about him in this episode. Yeah. I feel like there's potential there and I definitely want to see more, but uh, maybe he'll become kind of a recurring character later on, helping them with the Emerald chain or something like that. That would be really interesting. Maybe he'll have a, romance with Tilly. Oh, there you go. You never know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so in this whole sequence as well, we also see a Bajoran, which was pretty cool. We've gotten reference to the Bajoran trading post or whatever. Uh, so it was really cool to see, uh, to see that classic 
race come back too. Yeah, I was like, ooh, yay, a Bajoran. And then my mind went to, I want to know more of what happened with Bajor since yeah. the 24th century. I want to know, I want to know. <laughs> I had that same thought, especially watching this the second time and and knowing the character's fate and, you know, which is really unfortunate as well. But like leading up to that, what are the Bajorans like in this century? Like, are they a, a big part of the Federation? Are they not? Have they, you know, kind of drifted apart? Do they still believe in the prophets? Is that something, you know, I, I was kind of invested in this character and in his final moments and, and it was pretty gruesome. Like what's going through his mind? Does he have that kind of faith that the Bajorans had that we know of in Deep Space Nine and stuff? I, I, I really wanted more of them for sure. I don't recall, but I, was he wearing the earring? I, I looked the second time because I had the same thought and I did not see a, an earring on either ear. Yeah, that, that could be telling too. I don't know. I just wonder if the wormhole is even still around. You know? I Yeah, this is uh, so many places I want to revisit. Yeah, is is Deep Space Nine, probably the original station is not still there, I would imagine. But is there still a Federation presence there? And is the wormhole intact? Yeah. Wouldn't have been interesting to see the station as part of the salvage yard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that would have been interesting. Crazy. But they got to be careful here because I, I would, yes, I would like to know more about Bajor at this point. But we also don't want to know too much history on all these different things because as we get new Star Trek, maybe we get a Star Trek in the 25th century, in the 26th century. We also don't want to get to a point where we're like, well, we know what's going to happen with Bajor and we know what's going to happen with the Klingons or whatever it is. You know, we don't want too much information. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. This has the potential to make every other series that comes afterwards a prequel. Like Star Trek Picard is now technically a prequel. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Every Star Trek series is a prequel now. Well, let's talk a little bit about Burnham's actions in this episode, because last week I think was a really good story because Burnham has this idea of what she wants to do and, and a goal that she wants to accomplish. And she finds a way within the rules to get that goal done with Saru's help. In this episode, we kind of have a similar situation where Burnham wants to go after book and goes to Saru. Saru says no. And Burnham ends up going behind Saru's and the Admiral's back to rescue book. This whole situation is really interesting and and kind of, especially in light of last week's episode, says some interesting things about where Burnham's character is right now. Uh, So what, what did you think of, of Burnham's actions here in going against uh, Saru's orders? Basically. I'm so disappointed in Burnham. I really am. Again, here we go again. I feel like Saru and I could just sit in a room for an hour just complaining about Burnham keeps doing this stuff all the time and she's got to <laughs> stop it. We need to trust her. And I mean, for her to be our lead character, we need to trust her too. She's doing mm-hmm. the right things. And I think that's even acknowledged by Admiral Vance. Like the intention is right. And Saru, like everybody, everybody believes in Burnham, but she's breaking the rules too much and she's not being Starfleet. And this is one episode where I was watching it, and as we got into this whole situation, I just said, Burnham, quit Starfleet. Just quit. You don't belong there. I mean, it's that's not a bad thing, but you have this mission for yourself, this personal mission and this mission to help the galaxy and try to find the interest to the burn. 
And if you're not able to do what you need to do to find this information out by being part of Starfleet and by being a first officer to Saru, then you just need to leave Starfleet and fulfill your own personal mission. You and Book could go off and do your own things and you can work together with Starfleet and Discovery, but you don't belong in Starfleet right now. And you may never belong in Starfleet. And maybe that's where they're going at the, with this, because at the very end of the episode, she does remove her badge. And I mean, yeah. that doesn't mean she's leaving necessarily, but at least she's maybe thinking about it. I don't want her to leave Starfleet, but if they're taking the character in this direction where she keeps doing her own thing and breaking the rules, then she doesn't need to be part of an organization of rules. But I will say... It's very Spock-like of her, too, because Spock has sometimes broken the rules. And, of course, she's his sister and grew up with the same parents. And so there's Spock aspects and Vulcan aspects to her of doing the logical thing, even though it may not be part of the rules. That's an interesting observation. I like that. Uh, I, I like that you bring up her also removing her badge at the end. A very symbolic, you know, we're not sure. Like you said, I don't think she's leaving Starfleet right now, but, you know, it's clearly something on her mind that maybe she's not fitting in quite right. And we, we've gotten hints of that over the last few episodes. Giorgio, a few episodes ago, said, you've lived for a year without all these rules and regulations and and that might not be the best fit for you uh, anymore. So yeah, it's definitely something that's a possibility. I feel like we'll get an arc of her coming back kind of thing over the course of the season. But this feels to me for her character, especially after last week, a, a step back, a regression, which is unfortunate. And I know it's just one step in the story they want to tell, but it, it was a bit heartbreaking for sure to see her take that route in this episode. I also want to talk a bit about Saru's actions and, and the decisions he makes, which are kind of interesting at one point getting advice from Tilly and Tilly kind of gives some surprising advice saying you should tell the Admiral that Burnham has done this because if he finds out from someone else and learns that you didn't tell him that could have consequences in it. And it reflects badly on the entire crew. Definitely an interesting perspective from Tilly who I think has grown a lot and is showing steps towards the the captain she wants to become someday and and the the ideals and principles she wants to let guide her as she steps in more into that role in the future I thought that was really interesting and then of course Saru learning that the admiral might have sanctioned the mission if he had been made aware so Saru also I think is a little bit inside his own head wanting to make a really good impression and not wanting to rock the boat when maybe they're in a position to rock the boat a bit and to bring a different perspective, like Saru said at the end of the last episode, but in this episode seems a little bit more hesitant to do so. You know, it's, re it's really unfortunate. I think, like you said, Burnham maybe did the right thing, but in the wrong way. And it, it feels like if there had been more communication, more consultation at the beginning of this episode, a lot of this could have been avoided. So I, I think there's a lesson there in, you know, being upfront and not, not wanting to hold your cards so close to your vest that, you know, you're afraid of what someone's reactions might be. So you don't confront them with it and that kind of thing. Whereas have everything out in the open, hash everything out, which again, I think is the lesson we learned last week that hasn't carried forward into this episode, unfortunately. 
it seems like her actions all were due to love because finding this black box isn't an immediate need. Again, the burn happened 120 years ago. There is no immediate need to get the black box now or the world's going to explode. (laughs) You know, there's no danger. The only danger we really have in this episode is Book is there and she wants to rescue Book. And not to say that she has to be in love with Book to go rescue him, but it was more of a personal, personal desperation for her to go and do this now to get not only the black box, but to get him out of there. And as Saru says, it's all about trust. Like, can they trust Burnham? But she also has to learn, can she trust Starfleet? And can she trust Command? And she could have tried to make her case maybe a little harder to Saru and to the Admiral. And they still may say, not now, or we're going to approach this differently. But again, if she can't do that, if she can't operate in that kind of environment, then she doesn't need to be in Starfleet. But I think Saru has done all the right things because, again, trust is the theme here. The Admiral needs to trust Saru and this crew. And also, I'm sure the Admiral knows that Saru's a fairly new captain. And so he's got to prove himself. So it's trying to fit in to this time frame, trying to fit in with Starfleet and the Federation, trying to prove yourselves, and we don't need to be going rogue. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad, I appreciate that the Admiral gave Saru the decision to handle Burnham. And I think he did the right thing. He didn't throw her in the brig. She's now just a senior science officer and she doesn't need to be first officer, which then leads to the question of who's going to be the first officer. I kind of wondered that as well, because we have a bunch of lieutenant commanders, uh, the, the next highest rank, interestingly, and I know it's not just based on rank, it's based on who's in the best position to do so, but the next highest ranked person, interestingly enough, is Commander Jet Reno. who I don't think will be the first officer, but it was an interesting thought that flitted through my head. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't see Saru. I mean, if Saru did go to Reno, he said, Reno, I want to make you my number one. She'd say, um, I I think I'll pass on that. I don't think she wants it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I can't see her. It would be funny. I think that would be an interesting dynamic, but I, I can't see that being, uh, how things are going forward. No, I don't either, but I have two predictions of who would be first officer. Okay. I think it's my first guess is Detmer mm-hmm. because of uh, there's something going on with her that was established in the first episode, or no, I guess the second episode of the season with her head and, you know, where she kind of is. And so we've already been playing with this character and she is a lieutenant and she's a bridge officer and I can see if they want to continue exploring this character, they could do that with her being a number one. And I thought, well, she's sitting at the helm and I thought, oh, well, so is Una number one on the Enterprise in Strange New Worlds. It's the same seat and she's the first officer. So we could be doing the same thing here. My second guess is Nielsen only because Nielsen was featured in this episode in Command of the Bridge. And I thought, is that just a set for us to go, oh, well, we know that she's done this before. Yeah, Nielsen would be would be a good choice. And she's had the bridge a few times for sure. So I, yeah. I think... Uh... I think you might be onto something there. Of of the bridge crew that we've seen, I, I tend to forget Nilsson, unfortunately, because I think, you know, she's interesting, especially being played by Hannah Cheeseman, uh, who played Arium in season one. So yeah, I 
Mm, I think my I think the smart money's on Nielsen at this point. Yeah, which tells me that it's not going to be a permanent position because they haven't played yeah. with her character and they don't give her a whole lot to do. That all of a sudden she's at the forefront of every episode. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I think Burnham will be back in that position eventually, sooner or later. I'm not sure which, but you know. I, I think she'll be there. And that's why I kind of also lead towards Detmer because whatever's going on with Detmer could seriously affect her command decisions and her being successful at the first officer's position that she has to step down at some point when Burnham has redeemed herself and then they put Burnham back into that position. Interesting. Hmm. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to see for sure. Uh, so yeah, this, this episode, I, I guess the culmination of it is, I would say the official beginning of the Burnham book romance, which, you know, I think we all saw coming, not just because it was in trailers, but because there's, there's some tension there. What did you think of how this was handled with their, their kiss in the turbo lift, uh, that, that we get at the end of the episode? Uh, I mean, I liked it. Okay. It's just, I get tired of so many shows that when somebody's finally about to crit, about to kiss someone something interrupts them <laughs> it happens all the yeah. time but i loved after that how book just like went in for it i love that part <laughs> yeah i there's something weird about how this scene was shot it just it it's felt a little over the top to me i don't know like the camera's like rotating around them and the the flowery music is going and it lingers and i was just like I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not feeling the, like the huge amounts of passion that this scene seems to be trying to elicit from me. I'm glad they're, they're, they're moving forward on that. I, I feel like they're a good fit together, but I also felt like it was kind of so inevitable that I'm not that surprised. I'm not as like, wow, about this scene as, as they seem to make me feel like I should be, but I'm, 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 ha I'm happy with where they're going. But I don't know if, if you got that feeling as well. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't so wow about it either. I was just waiting to, I was kind of expecting it at some point, you know, that it was a strong possibility that we might see this. And it's like, okay, well, this is that moment. But it wasn't like, oh, wow, it's happening now. And Yeah, it doesn't have to be all flowery or whatever. But again, I really enjoy the episode. Uh, it's just not as much as I've enjoyed the others this season. But I also think it's because we're ready to start moving forward maybe with this mystery. We've, we've done the mm -hmm. whole bring everybody together. We've now established ourselves in this century. Now let's take it to the next stage of things and i think this is starting it and and maybe we shouldn't even start that next phase so big anyway so maybe we should take a baby step at first one or two of those steps in the next episode or two but i'm ready to get there i'm just ready absolutely <laughs> yeah well any uh sort of final thoughts and maybe uh, a rating for scavengers yeah i mean again i would say uh yeah it's not my favorite of the season, but I did enjoy seeing Book and Burnham brought back together. I like their dynamic. I like the uh, interaction between Adira and Stamets, the command decision that Saru was under. But then, the, you know, the story of them with all, you know, trying to get the black box and everything was fine. But, you know, I'm just ready for a little more with that. It did pique my interest. So I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot more from that and maybe even more black boxes or whatever. So anyway, yeah, nice episode. 
I would give this one, though, three and a half out of five stem bolts. Self-sealing, of mm. course. Yeah. I, I think we're kind of on the same page. Uh, I like that you brought up the, the self-sealing stem bolts. I did like that little shout out. I thought that was great. Uh, as well as seeing the the boomerang phaser from like the, the DS9 Voyager era. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was nice. The w- one thing that I absolutely loved was uh, there's a reference to the USS Le Guin at the start of the episode, which is named, I'm assuming, after the science fiction author Ursula K. Le Guin, which is, that's, that's oh, really cool. Okay. So, yeah, it's an okay episode. Again, my least favorite of the season. I think that still f- speaks not that badly of it because this season, the episodes have been so stellar. This one feels like a little bit of a step back, but not in a, in an egregious way. It's not a terrible episode or anything like that. It just, like I said, maybe some of the seams showing a little bit more than usual. Uh, some of the, the character decisions I feel like are a little bit of a regression and yeah, like you, I'm kind of eager for more answers with regards to some of the mysteries they're trying to set up for this season. I feel like the baby steps we've been taking aren't quite enough to really capture my interest at this point, but I'm on board. Like, you know, I trust you guys give me something more. Let's, let's really get this going. So I did, like I said, enjoy this episode. I thought that was a little bit of a step back, but uh, for a rating, uh, I'm going to give it a misdirected Linus trying to get to the science lab, but never quite getting there because of his new badge. So yeah, it's just a little bit of a a misdirection a couple times. Poor Linus. (laughs) Poor Linus. Poor Linus and his sinuses. And his big oh, eyes. his sinuses, his new badge. He's just having so many troubles, and you know who knows what's going to happen with him and Giorgio. I'm still kind of waiting to see what's going on there, if anything. I still predict that will be on a short treks. <laughs> I like that. I hope there are more short treks, and if they do, I, I hope that's one of them. I think that's a great idea. And there's a part of me that wonders if we'll see this missing year that Burnham has been in this century will be a short treks with her and Book. That would be cool. Something to that effect. But also, I'm interested in next week's episode. Yeah, Unification (gasps) 3. Are you going to be watching Unification 1 and 2 sometime in the next week? Because I feel like I might have to make time to do that. I didn't think about doing that, but now that you say that, I just might. Oh, and you know what? I just realized it's that Thursday when Discovery drops, it's going to be Thanksgiving Day here in the U.S., Oh, yeah. So um, I'm going to have to tell my family that this comes first and then the rest of the day is for them with us. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll have the turkey and everything, but I'm watching this episode first thing in the morning like I usually do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I might watch Unification 1 and 2. Well, when you're not doing that and waiting for uh, short treks about Burnham's missing year, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, on Instagram at Admiral Rex, no underscore. And you can find me occasionally on the Star Wars report. And I'm trying to think, oh, Dan, you know what else? We're going to be doing something on Friday. We are. I'm really excited about this. I was excited to see your face on this uh, on this graphic as well that Aaron Harvey has put together for the Trixgiving Day uh, live stream event. Uh, this this is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, it's a three hour event. 
on Friday, the blah, 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 the 27th (laughs) (laughs) at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. I don't know if I'll be on the whole thing. I I, I mean, I, I, I might. It just all depends. Because, you know, my daughter's home from college. We're doing a lot of family time. And when he asked me about doing the show, I was like, do I have to be on for the whole three hours? But <laughs> I might. So it just depends. Yeah, I'll definitely be there. Uh, I'm not, again, like you, I'm not sure if I'll be there for the whole three hours. But uh, definitely, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Well, when I'm not doing three hour long live streams the day after us Thanksgiving, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K E R T R A T S. You can find me on youtube.com slash Kurtrats productions, making videos about star Trek mostly and some other things as well. Uh, and you can find the show on Twitter at positively Trek and search for positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. We'd love to have you join the group. It's a lot of fun. Lots of people posting, mostly one or two people posting a lot of things, but some really great discussions happening. And we'd love to add you if you are interested in talking about Star Trek in a positive environment with like-minded people. So, well, thank you all so much for listening once again this week. This Friday, we have another book club episode coming out that is with special guest Greg Cox about the TOS novel, A Contest of Principles. So as well as hearing us on Aaron Harvey's live stream, you'll also get that new episode that day. So you'll, you'll just be able to spend your whole post Thanksgiving day with us if you so choose. So yes, let's have leftovers together. (laughs) Awesome. Well, until then everyone out there, please stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.